Hey everyone, welcome to For the Love of Fitness. I'm your host, Marie Cambinga, and today we will be discussing disability in the fitness industry. The main purpose of today's show is just to emphasize the importance of inclusivity in the fitness industry. Unfortunately, people with disabilities are often not able to participate in fitness programs or even attend recreational and fitness facilities due to the lack of accessibility and proper staff training. Today, we will dive deeper into the examples of lack of accessibility in the fitness industry, as well as discuss solutions as to how we as fitness fitness professionals can do better moving forward. So as we all know, the fitness industry is continuously growing as people become more conscious of the importance of staying healthy and preventing diseases. With this growth, however, it is important that we don't ignore a community of people just because they of the lack of proper knowledge and training. According to James Rimmer in the article, Fitness Facilities Still Lack Accessibility, one of the biggest problems is obvious just by hearing the title, which is that the fitness facilities lack accessibility for people with disabilities. <laughs> Other studies have shown that fitness and recreational facilities still lack full accessibility for individuals with physical um, disabilities. However, the interesting about this study is that it dives deeper and examines accessibility on a broader scale that includes programs, services, equipment types, and the built environment of these facilities across um, diverse geographical regions, so different or either urban or suburban areas. And the study also emphasizes the usability, that usability is just as important as accessibility. If you don't know, usability refers to the efficiency, effectiveness, and satisfaction of an activity or program. Efficiency is is the amount of time it takes to participate in an activity or program. Effectiveness is a person with disabilities achieving the same health benefits as others, and satisfaction is the user's perception that the exercise routine was worth the time and effort as well as was really beneficial to them. A, self, um, a self-evaluation method was performed by fitness and recreational facility owners in 227 facilities across 10 states. They used a tool known as the Accessibility Instrument Measuring Fitness and recreation environments, or AIM-free for short. They compared the accessibility between urban and suburban geographic regions, facility affiliation, meaning fitness centers, park districts, hospital or rehabilitation facilities, or universities and colleges. They also compared the difference with between for-profit and nonprofit business types, as well as whether the buildings were constructed before or after the passage of the American Disabilities Act, or ADA for short. The results of this tool showed that there was low accessibility in most of the facilities in all sections, except in programs, parking, and water fountains. However, there were differences between facility affiliation when it came to equipment, information, and signage that's um, posted around the facility, and locker rooms and showers. 
urban and suburban facilities had the same scores in all sections except parking, which was, of course, better in suburban areas. These results also showed that there isn't a major difference between the scores of different business types. And lastly, they found that facilities built after the ADA was passed had significantly better scores in six out of the 13 sections. This article discusses how, in general, fitness facilities had high inaccessibility in many different areas. It highlights that even though the ADA was passed 30 years ago, over 30 years ago, the inaccessibility may be due to a lack of specification in the act, as in the AD, um, it's not specific enough to the times that we're in right now. The ADA guidelines only address some features of built environments such as ramps and having one accessible bathroom in the facility and some guidelines for space around the, the equipment. However, specific access features such as information and signage, visible access routes, written policies, and universally designed equipment don't fall under the ADA guidelines, unfortunately. And this has left a door open for property managers and owners to not feel any kind of incentive to make facilities fully accessible because it's not written anywhere. So for someone with a disability to have a positive, beneficial experience in a facility, it is important to start with assessing the facility's usability or efficiency. This would include having universally designed equipment such as a swing away seat that would make it easy for someone who was in a wheelchair to move the seat and perform the exercise without having to transfer on and off the equipment. Another key feature would have to be that instructors are trained in helping with transfers to allow members with disabilities to have a safe and satisfying experience. So what can we draw from all of this? We can draw that it is important to understand that accessibility is much broader than just a couple ramps and a bigger bathroom stall. For fitness industry and the fitness facility to be successful, it, is, it must be able to accommodate everyone that comes through its doors. This means ensuring the usability of, this, of the facility for members who are disabled. Another article I found was titled Disability in the Gym, Experiences, Barriers, and Facilitators of Gym Use for Individuals with Physical Disabilities. This study conducted a series of, inter of interviews on 21 people over an 18-month period using data collected from interviews. The purpose of the interviews was to get a first-hand look at what the gym experience is like for someone with a disability. And this data that they collected revealed four major themes, which were experiencing enhanced wellness, perceived conflict between gym values and disability, influence of a previous gym identity, and experiences of psycho-emotional disabilism. So basically what the study found was that gyms do promote healthy behaviors because the participants had perceived improvements socially, physically, and psychologically through exercising in these spaces. However, the participants faced barriers such as not fitting into the cultural norms of the gym and a lack of representation in the gym 
which the participants perceive as hindering their exercise participation because they don't see anybody else that looks like them in this gym or any pictures of people that look like them, anything like that. They feel a little bit isolated. So I agree with the solution that the article suggests, which is that gyms should think about paying for their instructors to take courses that teach them how to train an individual with a disability. Another solution is that these gyms should also consider employing instructors who have a disability so that the culture in the facilities don't make people feel isolated or out of place if they're disabled. Another interesting thing I wanted to highlight from this article is the theme of past identity. This means that a person's gym habits prior to their disability could determine how well they get into exercise after acquiring a new disability. This point is important because if professionals working in the field are aware of this, it will be beneficial to their clients when they go to design individualized exercise programs during and after rehabilitation. This is a great segue into my last topic, which is regarding the importance of exercise, especially after newly acquired disabilities. According to another article by James, Rid- by James Rimmer, which is Framing New Pathways in Transformative Exercise, the period right after rehabilitation is a critical stage where a lot of individuals go back into their sedentary lifestyles, unfortunately. And which this basically looks like after being discharged from rehab, people with newly dis- acquired disabilities repeatedly never make the transition into community-based exercise programs. The framework discussed in this article is called the Transformative Exercise Framework, which is useful for post-rehabilitation individuals. The framework supports a person, a patient to participant to rehab to wellness model that highlights the need for a link between physical and occupational therapists to exercise trainers. This framework has four areas of focus, which are rehabilitation, condition-specific exercise, and lifetime physical activity. These areas spotlight a variety of options for people with newly acquired, acquired disability and diagnosis, or for people with existing disability or chronic health conditions who have suffered a new injury or are severely deconditioned. This framework is also extremely interesting to me, and I see how beneficial it would be to implement this as fitness professionals. The ultimate goal that we have is to provide people with newly acquired disability with a restore, improve, prevent continuum consisting of programs and services. The continuum would conduct and connect individuals to rehab and exercise professionals in a dynamic, seamless framework. This would allow both sets of professionals to highlight their expertise and provides the best interventions to help the individual achieve the most improvements to their health and function. In my personal opinion, if exercise physiologists physiologists are familiar with this framework, they can reach out to other professionals to create a network that their client will always be able to rely on. This network can include physical therapists and trainers so that the exercise physiologist will have a way to contact them to further individualize the client's program. 
These contacts will help the exercise physiologist refer to the refer the client to to physical therapists if necessary or connect them to a trainer after they complete the exercise program. Using this will allow the client to continue with healthy behaviors that they gain in inpatient rehab as well as during the exercise program. It is also really important that exercise physiologists are mindful of how to design programs for clients with disabilities. And I hope that maybe this podcast will help any aspiring exercise physiologists out there understand the importance of getting any additional training that would be necessary to achieve the ultimate satisfaction of their clients. Just to wrap things up, I wanted to say that although fitness facilities and programs are more accessible now prior to the passage of the ADA guidelines, there is still a long way for them to go to provide a positive and safe environment to everyone regarding of disabilities. The most important thing is recognizing that there is a problem that must be addressed because this allows us as fitness professionals to be more mindful of the changes that need to be made. If more recreational and fitness facilities start to look at complete accessibility as the norm rather than the exception, then things such as proper equipment, adequate space, and specific staff training will be mandatory in future business models. As people who are going into the fitness industry, if we already have this knowledge under our belt, it will be extremely beneficial in our careers. I really do believe that. And we need to be able to provide care to anyone that walks through our our facility doors. So I hope this reaches someone and I hope this helps in any way. I hope you learned something new. And thank you for joining me on today's episode of For the Love of Fitness.